Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. We are in the book of James, so if you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, we're going to... We, we finished uh, chapter two, but we're going to kind of go finish a little bit of the end that we kind of rushed. So we're going to start in chapter two, um, um, verse 22. But I kind of made up some slides that have a little bit of an overview. So the first chapter of James, um, it talks about a, several different things. We're going to put that on the screen right here. And um, I just want you to get an overview because sometimes when we screw um, when we read scripture, we dial in so much on maybe one word or one sentence, and it's a whole book. It's a whole letter that was written for a purpose. It was written by Jesus' brother. Children, release the children. Release the children. Go. Children, go. Um, they're leaving back there. If you need to go, head back that way. Written by Jesus' brother, two scattered Christians, um, believers that were scattered out, Jewish believers around the world. They were trials. They were going through hard things, and they needed wisdom. When you go through something hard, you need wisdom. James gives us a promise that if we lack wisdom, we can ask God, and he'll give it to us. Then it talked about temptation, that temptation doesn't come from outside of us. It comes from inside of us. So watch your heart, guard your heart. And then it talks about hearing and doing God's word. It seems like these people have a few different reminders about the fact that you don't just need to listen to God's word or read God's word. You need to actually do God's word. Chapter 2, which we did last week, it covers a few other things. Um, it starts... It starts talking about treating everybody the same. Like uh, there's no partiality in God. It shouldn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor or you're, you're African-American or you're white or you're Hispanic or you're older or you're younger or you're anything. Like treat everybody the same. Treat them well. And then it ends with this idea of a living faith. And so in chapter, and then I want to go right into chapter 3. That's where we're going to start. And I just, I want to pull something out of this, and then I want to go right into chapter 3. It says, you see that faith was active along with works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled, verse 23, that says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. This right here, this is one of the most beautiful things you can read in the scripture. The fact that Abraham did as righteous, which that means that by faith, God counts you righteous. It's a complete gift. Now think about how awesome that is, because you know all the stuff you've done wrong. And, but by faith, you're counted as righteous. God says, that one is right. He's made right with me. But then the other part of that, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says, he was called a friend of God. And what I want you to understand as we talk about wisdom and temptation and trials, like it's all wrapped up in this thought that we are counted righteous as a gift, but that we're invited into this amazing relationship with God. God uses a lot of words to describe the relationship. Sometimes it's a child, it's a son or a daughter, 
But he also uses words like this, like a friend. To have God as your friend. I have a friend, um, a few friends in South Florida that I grew up with. And um, I told one of them this week, I said, you know, you've just been like my best friend the last 20 years. He's somebody that any, like he's in Florida, but I guarantee you if he call, if I called him today and I needed him up here, the man would come. I can count on him. He's my friend. And some of you in, in this church, I, I consider my friends, people that, that I can count on. And just having God as your friend, let that be the foundation of everything you hear today. That you're counted righteous and that God wants to have a close relationship with you. He doesn't want you just to know about him as some buddy way up in the sky or or somebody that died on the cross thousands of years ago, but, but as somebody that, that can even be your friend. And there's so much wrapped up in that. I would say, you know, go home and think about that and, and, and read about that and study about that. So that's how chapter 2 ends. This idea that this active faith, this faith that isn't just about words, but it's about actions and that if you believe something, like you're going to do something. Like that's just what faith does. Faith changes the way you act. Chapter 3 is not a long chapter, okay? And it's written, it's written pretty clearly. I'm going to read several of the passages. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 1. And he starts off with something interesting. He says, not many of you, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we all, that we who are teach will be judged with greater strictness. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anybody does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. But this, this, that first verse, like that should, like let's think about that, verse 1 of chapter 3, that not many people should become teachers. Why? Because we're talking about being counted righteous. We're talking about being God's friend. And, and we're talking about how important it is that if you're teaching that, you do it right. And the Bible says very clearly, it says, not many should become teachers. These were Jewish believers, mostly, that this book was written to, scattered around the Roman Empire. And the, uh, their teaching was like a, a position of like, importance. It was like a kind of a big deal if you were a teacher or a rabbi, as they use the word teacher, meaning rabbi. Like you had a place in the community. You, you had... It was, it was honorable. And because it's honorable, people sought after it. And then in the New Testament, not only do you have this office of a teacher, somebody who teaches the word, but you have, it's, it's a gift. It talks about teaching being a gift. Now it says, not many of you should become teachers. I don't know if there was some, um, like, kind of strife back and forth as we get into this book, into this chapter a little more. Um, it seems like there might have been some strife, some people going for positions, you know. And, and I want to I I say that, that not many of you should become teachers, but there are definitely some of you 
that should become teachers. There are some of you that God has put something in your heart and, and you understand the word and it is good for you to know this. It says that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. As it should be. If you're going to teach God's word, whether in front of a church like this or in a small group setting, like there's a standard God wants to make sure you're doing it right. And, and it makes sense. Like the bigger the wrong, the bigger the punishment. And I can't think of anything more wrong than twisting God's word, than saying it incorrectly, than, than getting people off base with what God's word says. And so this idea that, that there's a greater strictness. I, I hope some people in here that, that you might be called to be a teacher, might be called to lead a small group, might be called to maybe one day pastor a church. Like, I hope you, you're, you're not afraid of the calling, but I hope you're very cautious with it. I hope, like, when you, when you sit down to teach a small group, that you make sure you rightly divide that word. That you don't, you don't say your opinions that you say what it says and you don't shrink back in fear and that you, you take it seriously because the scripture says greater strictness. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a little, little scary, right? Like who wants God to be more strict? You ever wake up today, one day, like I just wish God would really just lay it on me, be real strict, hold me to like account. No, that, but, that, but that's what he says. And then he says in verse 2, and it makes sense, and we all understand this, is we all stumble in many ways. We all make mistakes. Like, even if you're a teacher, you're going to make mistakes. And so, follow Christ. But if I ever get off base from following Christ, then leave me in the dust and keep following Jesus. But then he goes on, and he's going to talk about the tongue here. That's what a lot of this chapter is going to be about, about that muscle in our mouth. It says... He's a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. And that's the concept that you're going to see over and over right now, is this concept is that if, if you can hold your tongues, if you cannot stumble in what you say, you can keep your whole life in order. He's going to really make a, a lot about how what we say guides our lives. Look at this. Um, verse 3 for if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their bodies as well. He's making the point. You can have a horse as a huge animal, beautiful, strong. You could put that little bit in their mouth. And just by turning their mouth, you change that whole animal's body, his strength, his direction, like you are in charge. And it's amazing that our mouths guide our lives. Paul, uh, James is explaining that to us right here. Then he gives another example, verse 4. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Of the pilot directs. 
So it's another example. He's, he's, he's explaining what he's saying. He's like, just like a horse, you can steer, steer him by his mouth. A ship can be giant, and then underneath they have that little rudder that when they turn the steering wheel, like it changes direction, and that whole boat begins to go in a different direction. And, and, and what you say, James is making the point, what you say takes the direction of your life, like it shapes where you're going. Verse 5, he says, so the tongue, the bits are small, but they steer a horse. The rudder is small, but it's, how much of the trouble, tongue is very small. But how many of, how much of the trouble you've gotten into started with your tongue? All right, nobody look at Mike back there, all right? <laughs> but Mike is like, this makes sense, I could testify, all right? But, but there's some of us, like, we... We've gotten ourselves into positions. We've directed our own lives. We've, we've steered our own course just with a few, a few vibrations of our vocal cords and turning of our tongue like our whole life has changed. And there's a warning. He says, it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze with such a small fire. Again, he's saying how something small can make a big change. You could flick a cigarette out under the right conditions and burn down a forest. You can speak one word and under the right conditions destroy your marriage. Destroy your children. Make it harder for you at work. Such a small thing, but it can start a blaze. It says in verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. That's a, hard, that's a hard verse to translate. I read about what a lot of different translators said about that verse. That, that's kind of tough. Um, I, I read in the Peshetta, they, they say it differently. That's the Aramaic um, translation of the scriptures. And and it says, the tongue is a fire, the world is a forest. Some translators might, might, might say, like, you know, what we say, not only does it impact us, but it, it impacts those around us. And you can come in and, and just notice, like, or just remember. Remember the time that everybody in the house was just happy and all was well, and one person came in with just a little attitude, and just a little snippiness, and the whole atmosphere changes. Also, I mean, it, it, this is another way to translate it. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Another way to take that might also be that, you know, what comes out of our mouths through the way people talk. Like, you can see, like, listen to what they say. Listen to people. And you can see what's in their heart. You can see what they're thinking of. You can, it can reflect the world that's living in us. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. James is not... He's not being gentle here. Right, this is strong language. It's the idea that our tongue, it's set among our members. It's, 
it's a small piece when you look at how big the body is. You know, some of us are bigger than others, but no matter how big you are, your tongue is tinier than the rest of you, and it can set on fire your whole course of life. How many people have, have in a moment of anger or in a moment of frustration or in a moment of jealousy or in a moment of pride, like you've said something and a relationship has been changed forever? could be a friend. Kevin's like, me, right here, brother. But like it, it changes. And people that were with you are not with you anymore because maybe you, you spit some fire on them. You burned it up. You, you said something. Or, or, or you might have lost a job. Or, or, or given, done something or been a part of saying something that kept you from getting promoted. Or, or how many people, now I want you to think about this, go, go as far back as you can in your memory. How many times has somebody, maybe it was a teacher or a parent or an uncle or, or somebody that was like an adult and they said something to you when you were little and it like, you can still remember. Can anybody, raise your hand, do you have any of those? Like something they said when you were little and it was years ago and it just sits there and it, it's, isn't it almost still smoldering sometimes? And it changes. I can remember, um, you know, I'm a little bit older and I'm not saying it was a good haircut, all right? Let me preface this with I probably had a very bad haircut. But I remember one time I got my hair spiked up because that was the thing back in the 80s. Everybody, like, they were wearing their hair, at least where I lived in Miami. They were spiking their hair, and I got my hair spiked up. And, and this, uh, I went in, and I was feeling kind of good, you know? It was like, I, I was like, I look good. It's got the gel or whatever hairspray. I don't even remember, but I was like, it was the first time I remember really, like maybe third grade, really wanting a haircut and getting a haircut. And me and somebody else, we had like similar haircuts at the same time. We went in, it was a Spanish teacher. We went in her class and she goes in front of the whole class to the other boy, I like your haircut. I do not like yours. And I remember just being like, <laughs> you know, like we, we remember these words. It sets on fire the course of our life. Verse 7. He's going he's gonna to continue talking about the tongue. He says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Tigers, there's people riding horses, riding whales, getting dolphins to do backflips. Tigers are like jumping through hoops of fire. Like we can do, we can control these big animals. But who can control this? Verse 8, but no human being can control the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. How many times have you tried to bite your tongue? Like you knew, don't say it. And the person said something. And you're like, don't say it. You're like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And then finally you're like, Take that. It didn't make things better. It felt good for a minute. But then now there's damage. The fire has been set and you need restoration. It's restless. You ever, you ever just had that, that restless? I just, mmm. I talk to people all day long and I'm an introvert and I'm pretty direct. 
So sometimes the only thing I can say is, I understand what you're saying. That's Chris speak for, I have nothing good to say right now. I understand. Restless evil, full of deadly poison. Look what it says in verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This is important. Remember, if you, if you go back and we were reading about faith without works in chapter 2, remember they were saying that, like, hey, faith without works is useless, it's dead. If somebody comes to you and they're sick or they're, and they're hungry and you say, like, I bless you with a full belly and you're cold, get lots of clothes. And if you just bless them but you don't do anything physically, like you're kind of lying, it's a dead faith, I really think that this is, is, is saying like that, that this group of people, not only did they have like an understanding of blessing, which I think, I think it's good to bless people. I think it's good to tell your, your family in the morning, have a great day. And not just like rudely and not just flippantly, but I, mean, I hope your day is filled with peace today and joy and you get everything done that you need to get done. I, th I think it's good to bless people. I, I pray you're successful in your job. I hope, that, I hope that you don't have any drama at work, that everything is just peaceful over there. Like, I think it's okay to say those kind of things, and I think that's part of what they were doing, but I was saying they were, may the wheels fall off of your car right now. I don't know, think about what curses that, you know. May your eyes be gunked up and you can't see. I don't know, like, think about... And in the Bible, even in the New Testament, there's some, issues, there's some times of cursing. You know, Paul does some different things, but, but it's certainly not the norm. It's certainly not something like that we should be doing, speaking evil and wishing harm on others. Because it says right here, with it we, we bless our Lord and Father, but then we curse the people that are made in his likeness. See, Matthew 25 and so many of the scriptures really paints a good picture that how we treat others is how we're treating Jesus. So you may think you're blessing God, like all my adoration of the song we were singing, Jesus paid it all. You're blessing God one second and then you're cursing someone the next and God's saying like, that doesn't make sense. You're cursing the people that are made in my image and blessing me that that can't be. Because how we treat people is very often how we treat the Lord. Look at verse 9. It says, from the mouth, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No. In case you didn't know that. Can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? No. Can a salt pond yield fresh water? Is what comes out. Um, and if it's good, it's good, and if it's bad, it's bad. This sounds terrible, and don't judge me. This, this illustration may not work for you, you may be beyond this and much more mature than I am, but I am a little bit immature. I was thinking of two things. One thing that is good, 
M&Ms. I think M&Ms are good. They're chocolate. They're sweet. They're just big enough that you can have a bite and keep it moving. Something I thought that was bad, toilet water. Can we all agree we don't want to put that in our mouths? All right. If I were to take, and I just want you to think about this, if I were to take um, one big bag of M&Ms and put a drop of toilet water inside, how many people are going to have one? Mike said, ah, why not? <laughs> Probably in the back, you know, chances are. But the idea that a little bit of bad can mess up good. But how many people, if, you know, you're thirsty and we're star dying to death and there's a toilet there, how many people are going to be like, oh, look, I drop an M&M in and now it's all good. Now it's clean. It, it doesn't work that way. It's always like a little bit of dirt ruins a clean thing, right? The dirt spreads, not the clean, not the cleanliness. And it's this, this idea that you don't freshen up your mouth by just saying more good things. You stop saying bad things. So for some of us, we might not say anything this week. And that's, a, that's progress, all right? Like Chris talked about watching the tongue. I have nothing good to say. I'm just keeping God. We do bless people, but we also curse people who are made in God's image. And brothers, that shouldn't be so. He talks a lot about the tongue, about how what we say matters. Let's go to verse 13. Or I guess I should read verse 12. I'm sorry. Verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? No, neither can a salt pond yield um, fresh water. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Who's the wise person here? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. See, I don't think it's a surprise that he's talking about your tongue, and then he brings up this idea of meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the idea of someone who's very powerful but under control. Meekness is the idea when King Kong has the girl on the Empire State Building and he gently picks her up and he puts her there and he like gives her a banana or something. I don't know. I haven't seen it. And then, you know, he rubs her face with the back of his finger, but he's, he's gentle. He's meek. There's power under control. And we're talking about controlling our tongue. And I'm not saying be weak people. I'm saying be meek people, people who are strong, but have that strength under control. And don't just flash it around without being in God's will. Verse 14. I want you to hear this. It says, but if you have do and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That happens in churches a lot. There's people that might be sitting in your small group thinking, I could do it better than him. If I was in charge, but we get jealous, like a bitter jealousy. 
See, see, we should celebrate. If you see somebody doing a good job, amen. And maybe have some humility and say, hey, listen, why do people like coming to their small group? Why do people listen to what they say? What can you learn? Have a humble heart. And then it says selfish ambition. It is good to have some ambition. It is good to have some drive. God doesn't want a bunch of bumps on a log that just sit there. He wants people of action. We talked about active faith, but not selfish ambition. It should be selfless ambition. And he says, don't boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15, he says, this is not wisdom. Jealousy and selfish ambition, they like to pretend like they're wisdom. You've seen it at work. Somebody who wants the supervisor's job. And all they talk about is how bad of a job that person's doing, even though he's doing no 10% of the job and not the other 90 things that the person's doing. And they're backbiting and turning people around against them. And that's not wisdom that comes from above. That's false boasting. This is not wisdom that comes from above. It's earthly unspiritual, and demonic. All right, what are we talking about here? Let's just think about what we just read so we don't miss it. Jealousy and selfish ambition, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. When you're feeding into a selfish ambition, something that is all about your own glory and not God's glory, you're being just like the devil. Ow. Verse 16. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It happens in churches. Like I've, I've seen it before, not, not just in this church, but in other churches. You get certain people come in, and you know what? They don't really know. They don't know what we know. If we would just do more of this, then the heavens would open and the angels would be singing. And then, then another group over here, they don't know. Look at them. They're so young. <laughs> but if they just did it like us, then things would, be, things would be really good. And then another group over here. They're sitting on that side of the church. They think they're too good to be over here. But we know better. And it happens. And then you get disorder and vile practice. Instead of being a body that's made up of many members that, that are different people, but each approaching Christ humbly, each needing salvation, each needing grace, each not being able to do it on our own, and each being a student before we're a teacher. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable by their gentleness, by being open to reason. Dear God, our country needs that now. Just open to reason, open to like, wait, let's talk about this and think about this. 
But then it says, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Verse 17, circle that, underline that, live that out. If if you're not that, say, God, I want to be that. Help me to be that. And then it says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he's talking about this disorder, this every evil, vile thing. He's talking about selfish ambition. And then he talks about like this being gentle, making peace, having this wisdom from above that does not seek your own. We've talked about a lot today. We're closing right now. We've talked about our tongues. We've talked about the fact that what we say can change our lives. You can get fired or promoted by the things you say at work. You can build your marriage or destroy your marriage by the things you say with your spouse. You can build your kids up or destroy your kids. Your mouth, your words matter. We talked about selfish ambition and and disorder and God, I don't want to be that. We talked about people who try to walk the line. Yeah, they praise God, but they'll curse you out in the parking lot. (laughs) And God said, let's not do that. And then we talked about this wisdom from above. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. Just close your eyes. Just give yourself a little little space in here not to worry about everybody else in this room. If as we've been speaking, you've been challenged about what's come out of your mouth, you've been challenged about how you speak to people and how you use your tongue, and you realize you need to repent, you need to confess that there's been some wrong there, and you need God's grace and forgiveness. Would you put your hand up right now? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you've heard the things we've said that have dishonored people and ultimately dishonored you. God, help us. Change our hearts. Let our hearts be full of your spirit and full of your word, full of gentleness and peace and mercy and reason. God, help us to be people that walk with wisdom from above. God, help us to bless you and to bless others and not curse. We thank you for grace. We thank you that by faith we're counted righteous and made friends of God, that you love us and you're always there when we call. God, bless these people. Let this week be a week of your favor. Let your face look upon them. Let your mercy rain down on them. Let grace just overflow. Let peace calm their anxiety. God, and let joy be their strength. Let this be a week where we walk in the fullness of your blessing, God. Through faith, by grace, not of our own. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>